Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wellston, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Let's just start in Luke 8. If you got a Bible and you want to turn there, let's go to Luke 8. So tonight, we have been in the last, uh, well, for a while now, Wednesday nights, we've been looking at different character studies. We've been looking at both men and women, been looking good and bad, and we've been looking at different character studies because not only does the Bible give us a model, an example of how we should live our lives, but also the Bible gives us different characters from Scripture that we can learn from. Now, we can look at their lives, we can know about them, but also we can look at how God dealt with them, how they responded to God, and we can use that as a model example for how we ordain and, and conduct our lives today. So we've been looking at these different characters. Um, you asked me several weeks ago who we were going to study. Um, Sabrina caught me. I hadn't. I didn't have the name in front of me. So tonight we're going to be looking at Mary Magdalene. Um, next Wednesday, Lord will be looking at James the Apostle, but tonight we're going to look at Mary Magdalene. Now, when we come to these different character studies, what we try to do is ask three questions. We ask who they were, biographical information, factual information, data about them. Then we ask, why do we know them? Why are they in the Bible in in a role that we would find or look for them? There are thousands of peoples um, that are given in the Bible. Why would we focus in on this person? What is significant about this person that makes them somebody that we would take the time tonight to look at? So we ask who they were, why do we know them? And then we just ask the question, well, what lessons do they give us? What lessons can we glean from their life? So, Mary Magdalene, what do we know about Mary Magdalene? And I'm not talking about why do we know her, not why do we know her, but biographical information. Mother, father, sister, husband, child, second cousin, twice removed on their niece's side. What do we know about her? Well, that is a theory. That is a theory out there, but I could not find it supported in Scripture. I know that there have been Bible commentators that have suggested that, but I could not find that um, explicitly said. Now, it might be there and I could have missed it, but I didn't find it. He said that she was rescued out of prostitution, that Jesus rescued her out of prostitution, which is a theory that's out there. So, no. So, this Mary, and this is where it can be very confusing because there are numerous Marys in Scripture. You have Mary, the mother of Jesus. You have Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. You have a couple other Marys that are mentioned in Scripture. So, if you just go off the name Mary, which would be like a first name, it can be it can be confusing because there's other places where it talks about Mary, and sometimes you can get your Marys mixed up with Mary, and Mary gets mixed up with other Marys. So, it wouldn't be the same. It's a, if it, it's a different woman, a different Mary than Martha and Lazarus. Anything else we may know about her? Mother, father, sister, husband, children. 
So I couldn't find anything. I, you think I'm setting you up for failure. I couldn't find anything in Scripture that gives us any kind of biographical information about as far as her family, her parents, her background, her siblings. Couldn't find any information about a husband or children. Really, the main things that we have is Magdalene is often considered to be a surname. And it's a surname given to her, commentators, Bible scholars say, to differentiate her from the other Marys. So Magdalene, they say, is a name given to her to differentiate, but also to identify where she is from. Which, if you have at the back of your Bible, a lot of times you'll have maps. And if you look at the Sea of Galilee, off on, um, let's say you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, right around the 10 or 11 o'clock. If you're looking at a clock face, right around 10 or 11 o'clock, right on the Sea of Galilee, is the town of Magdala, which would be north of Tiberias which Tiberias was the capital city of the region of Galilee. So you have these, these coastal towns around the Sea of Galilee. So Magdala is considered where Mary is from. So when they were writing the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they gave her the name Mary Magdalene, or maybe they, she even had that name during the earthly ministry of Jesus, to identify her as that is where she is from and to differentiate her from the other Marys. So you can just imagine if you have four or five Marys that are in the party, you got to have some way of identifying which Mary is which Mary. So, we kind of have an idea. It's an assumption. We don't get anywhere that I can find in Scripture that says, definitely she was from Magdala. Um, but that is just an inference that they make from her being called Mary Magdalene. Anything else we might know about her data-wise? Been possessed by demons. She had been possessed by demons. Do you know? Do you remember where we get that from? Right there in Luke eight. That's right. Okay, so so Luke eight. So if you go to Luke chapter eight and verse two, um, it'll talk about this is one of the first introductions we get, especially the first introduction in the Gospel of Luke. Um, but it's the first introduction that we get about Mary of Magdalene. And when it talks about, I'm going to start in verse 1, Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, he, being Jesus, went on through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven de- demons had gone out. And then Luke lists um, some other women that were accompanying the other women that were accompanying the 12 that were accompanying Jesus. So we get an idea that she was someone that had been previously demon possessed and that Jesus had cast out these demons out of her and then upon the casting out of the demons she began to be a follower of Jesus. People have questioned about well when did this take place? Well, we know chronologically you can try to do a a timeline where you come into Luke 8. Another place that you'll see this mentioned or this alluded to is in Mark chapter 1. And in Mark chapter 1 and verse 39, as we're talking about the ministry of Jesus, it says... Um, And he went out throughout all Galilee, and this is the beginning of the ministry, and he went out through all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So you have a kind of a way that you can cross-reference to say, hey, we understand that right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, remember, he uh, cast out the demons in the synagogue, and then right after that he goes all throughout Galilee, which would include the city of Magdala. So it is... 
considered, um, maybe suggested. Suggested is the word I'm looking for. It's been suggested that she's there in Magdala. Jesus comes through, comes through Magdala in his itinerant ministry. There she is, possessed by seven demons. He casts out the seven demons, and she's like, yeah, I think I'm going to follow you around for a while, because that seemed like a good idea. So she became a follower of Jesus. That's a different Mary. That's another Mary. Mary. Yes, sir. That's that's a different Mary than the one that anointed his feet. Is she with Mary, Mother Mary, um, whenever they found the tomb empty? She was with her. Yes. And we'll get there in a second. But yes, yes. What other, any other information that we might know about her biographically? Is she portrayed in the table, feast. Some of those have a woman sitting at the table. So like the Last Supper? Like the painting of the Last Supper? I don't know. I, I, know, there's Mar- I know there's a Mary um, like, who is at the painting of the Last Supper? Come on, people. you got to be more cultured than I am. Da Vinci. da Vinci? Did he paint the Last Supper? Yeah. Okay, so I, I think I've heard that there was a Mary in that. I don't know if it's Mary Magdalene or maybe Mary the mother of Jesus. I've heard that some people said it's Mary the mother of Jesus because it forms some type of a shape that they go to seed on. But Okay, so let's do what? Some religion or, some religion or other faith uh-huh. believe that she was also married to So that is a theory that's out there, is that Mary Magdalene was the wife of Jesus. And they had a son. And they had a son. Now I say I want to go heavy, please, please. I'm heavy on the theory, all right? Because, number one, we don't have any evidence in Scripture that that was true. It is a theory that has been posited by people, suggested by people, recommended by people, but it has no background or foundation in the Bible. So there have been people that have said, hey, this is Jesus' wife. They had a kid together. Um, Those theories... Those theories, and the reason why they call them theories is because they're not provable. And they have not been proven. So you get in the classroom, and they start talking about theories and science because it's a theory and not a, not a fact. But I'll get back to my rabbit. So the, uh, it, it is a theory that's out there, but we have no evidence in Scripture that that was true. So... So why do we know her? Why is she a character in Scripture that is significant that we would know about her today? So she was with the group. She wasn't necessarily one of the twelve, but she was with that group that was part of that band of followers that followed Jesus around. It is it is conceivable that not only do you have the 12 apostles that were set aside for a specific ministry and specific purpose, but you also had other men in addition to the women that it's conceivable that they that Jesus had a greater following than just the 12 guys. That when Jesus, especially in the latter years of his ministry, when he moved from place to place, there was more than just 12 guys that were with him. It's conceivable that there were 12 guys, some women that they talk about, and also there's probably other guys that were then following them. Why do we think that? Any ideas why we would think that? Because when you get to Acts chapter 1, remember what happens in Acts chapter 1? So you get to Acts chapter 1, Judas has 
hung himself, committed suicide. So in Acts chapter 1, Peter gets up and they say we need to replace the we need to replace Judas in, uh, in, in the line of the twelve. And so they start talking about who is going to replace Judas. And they're saying it needs to be someone that saw the resurrected Christ and someone that has been a follower of Jesus through his earthly ministry. Which would allude to, imply that there were other men that were involved with the ministry of Jesus following him around apart uh, more so than just the twelve. Does that make sense? So when they chose, when they cast the lots and it went to Matthias, he had to have been with them during the ministry, saw the resurrected Christ, and had been a follower of Jesus along with the twelve. So it's conceivable that there was more people than that. Two main reasons stick out why we know Mary Magdalene. Now you have in Luke 8 a, a reference to her as far as she's the one that cast out the seven demons. But the, really the next time that we see Mary Magdalene in the Gospels is in two different distinct places. The first being the crucifixion and the second being the resurrection. So <clears throat> you can turn in your Bibles if you want to to Matthew chapter 27. I was just going to um, walk us through this and look at how we see her portrayed at both the crucifixion and the resurrection because that is really we may know a lot about her as far as in in church talk but really um, the main information we get about her role in the life of the ministry of Jesus um, Luke 8 gives us a little bit of biographical data but really it is at the crucifixion and then at the resurrection where she is kind of given a highlight if you will one of the things that we find is within the four gospels each gospel writer presents it a little bit differently. Please do not look at that and say, well, that they, now we have a contradiction. We don't have a contradiction. We just have a circumstance. We have a scenario. We have a story written from four different perspectives. And so from the four different perspectives, they're going to key in on different things and they're going to notice different things and different things are going to stick out to them. And that as they record it, they're recording it from their perspective and from the way they saw it. So as we look at these, it's not to say, oh, see, so now that we have a contradiction, now they disqualify one another and now we don't have to hold them as being inerrant or infallible or authoritative. No, you're just seeing it from different perspectives, different angles, if you will. So, Matthew chapter 27, um, starting around verse 56, um, we get an idea of where Mary Magdalene comes back on the scene. So, if you look back up in verse 55, it talks about there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee. Many to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So it, it kind of gives us an idea that at the crucifixion, who was there as far as the apostles? Do we know? John, that's the only one that we have recorded. I'm not saying he was the only one. He's just the only one that we have recorded in Scripture. We assume he's the only one because it tells us when Jesus was arrested that everybody scattered. That everybody was scattered like a covey of quail and everybody went off and ran. John and Peter followed and went into the courtyard of the temple to see what would happen. But even that was at a long distance. And then after Peter denied Jesus for the third time, he went out and went out by himself and wept bitterly, as the Bible says. So the only indication we have is the crucifixion, that Jesus is there, John the Apostle is there, that we see um, John 
record for us in his gospel. But then you have these women. And so amongst the group that were followers of Jesus that were there at the crucifixion is Mary Magdalene. You see that in Matthew chapter 27. And then if you slide over a few pages to Mark chapter 15, there is another um, reference, just a parallel reference, if you will, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 40. Mark writes down, and again, here we are at the crucifixion, and it says there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and and Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So there again, Mary Magdalene is mentioned as being present at the crucifixion. The last place that you see, Luke does not record it, but John does. And in John chapter 19, it gives us another picture there at the scene of the crucifixion. You see Mary Magdalene being present. You see this in John chapter 19 and in uh, verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And so we get this idea that she is there at the crucifixion. You may say, well, Spence, why does that matter? Well, there was a lot of people that were familiar with Jesus. And there was a lot of people that were familiar with the ministry of Jesus. In fact, he had called the 12 disciples and they had been there. They had been there whenever he fed the 5,000. They had been there when he had fed the 4,000. They were there the night that he walked on water. They had saw him cast out demons. They saw him raise people from the dead. They had saw him heal uh, people that were disabled. He had, they had saw him make people that couldn't walk, walk. People that couldn't see, see. They had seen all this stuff. They had heard all this teaching. They had been right there. And And yet, whenever it got the worst, they ran. I think it is fascinating that the Bible gives us, the gospel writer says that, hey, at the crucifixion, at the most needed time when Jesus is on the cross, the most supportive people in Jesus' life at that time were primarily women. I'm not trying to make a gender argument there. I just think that it is a, it is a mark that they want to make sure and highlight to show not only the devotion, but they want to show the commitment that these ladies had to Jesus because you think about at the crucifixion, what is going on? They are murdering a man out of jealousy. They're murdering a man because he disagreed with them. They're murdering a man because of their opposition to the ministry he was bringing about. So if you're one of his followers and you're there, you've got to think, hey, they could do the same thing to me. I am in danger, and yet they were willing to be there, and they're willing to put themselves in peril to be there at the crucifixion. So they are mentioned, Mary, especially Mary Magdalene, is mentioned as being there at the crucifixion. So why do we know her? We know her because of her role. We know her because of her presence. We know her because of her commitment to Jesus. Then, working back from John back to Matthew, we also see her presence at the resurrection. So if you get there to John, if you're still in John, and if you look down there at John chapter 20, John does something unique that the other gospel writers do not. John only focuses in on Mary at the resurrection. Now, does that mean that she was the only one there and the other one's got it wrong? No. Does that mean that John was wrong? No. It just means that John chose to focus in on that 
particular person. Because it says in John chapter 20 and verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she went and so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So verse 3 down through verse 10, Peter and John then come to the tomb and they see that the tomb is empty. John then comes back to Mary in verse 11. But Mary, this is talking about Mary Magdalene, back to verse 1. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. She's seen this. The angels talked to her. Then she comes out. um, Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. She did not know that it was Jesus, and Jesus spoke to her. So John focuses in on Mary Magdalene and presents her as being the first person, apart from the angels, the first person that not only saw the tomb empty, but then saw the resurrected Christ. Now, I, I stop short, and, and, and I'm not saying you're wrong if you say, well, G, well, Mary was the first one. I stop short of saying that she, singular, was the first one because the other gospel writers show that there was a group of women that was there. But I don't want to take away from the fact that Mary, not only was she devoted to Jesus by being there at the crucifixion, but she was also there at the burial. It tells us in other gospel accounts that she helped Joseph of Arimathea take the body down, prepare the body, put the body in the tomb. And we'll see that in the other gospels. But she was there at the crucifixion. She was instrumental in helping with the burial. And then after the Sabbath, she is there at the break of dawn to be to continue the burial process and was able to see the resurrection. And her um, actions there is a way of highlighting not only her devotion, but her commitment to God. So we see that in John, um, where he highlights and focuses in on her role in the resurrection. You go back to your left to Luke chapter 24, and we see um, Luke highlight her and her role um, or her place in the resurrection. If you go back there to Luke chapter 23, and uh, verse 55, talks about Joseph of Arimathea and he how he got the, the body of Jesus from Pilate. He took it down. Um, Nicodemus had come with the ointment. They did a kind of a hasty deal because, because of the time and they had to get ready for Shabbat and they had to be at their place and so they hastily put Jesus in the tomb, hastily prepared the body but there was more work to be done and it says in verse, 45, verse 55 that the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointment. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. Then you get to chapter 24. Luke says, But on the first day of the week, at the early dawn, they, who is they, they refers to the ladies back in verse 55, and you look down in verse 10, and it says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Jonah and Mary the mother of James and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So it gives us an indication that Mary was there. Yes, Mary Magdalene was there. But there was another group of ladies that were there as well. Now were they single file? Was Mary playing point? The other ones were... 100 yards back I, I don't know but they were they were there and you have again these women that are coming to help with not only the burial but they're also there to help 
keep preparing the body. So there was a whole ritual that went in in the Jewish culture of when a body died, and especially a body of great honor and great reverence, that there was ways that they prepare the body, almost like in a mummification type process. But during the decomposition and during um, that process of the body, um, there would be a, a lot of stench. And so they would bring the ointment and they would bring the spices and they would bring the aromatic things to come in to help bask the odor of the corpse decaying. And so that is why they would come in and all these preparations were made. And so Luke highlights that, hey, Mary Magdalene was there. She was a part of it. Mark 15 also highlights Mary's role. Verse 40 tells us there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James. Um, So they were there and then you get down there in uh, verse 47 it says Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus saw where he was laid. So these ladies, the reason why they knew where to go um, the first day of the week or the first day after Sabbath, the reason why they knew because they saw where they had put him. So verse 1 of chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early um, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. So Mark gives us the indication that Mary Magdalene was there present at the resurrection. And so last place, Mark or Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. You get over there around verse 57. Um, gives us another account of Joseph and Arimathea, him coming back. Um, says, putting in the tomb, preparing that. Verse 61. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So they saw where he'd been put. They saw how he'd been prepared. They saw what was necessary. They go back. They spend that 24 hour period from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday. Really um, thinking about observing Shabbat, but then also thinking about what they need to do, how they need to take care of it, what needs to be done. Overnight on Saturday night, of course, they're not doing anything to this dark and it's dangerous. And so they're thinking about, okay, first light, we're going to go out and we're going to take care of this. And so here it comes on... Chapter 28 and verse 1 in the Gospel of Matthew. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. All four Gospel writers make a point to mention that Mary Magdalene was there. Not at the resurrection because they showed up after Jesus had already come out of the tomb. But they were the first ones to see it. They were the first ones to go and tell the disciples about it. They were the first ones to see the resurrected Christ. They played that role. So when we ask ourselves the question, well, why do we know about Mary Magdalene? Yes, the demons had been cast out of her. Yes, we realized that she was a follower of Jesus. But we also know her because of her role, not only at the crucifixion, but also at the resurrection. What else would be a reason that we would know about her? I don't know if this is crucial, but somewhere that I, oh. 
I'm, I'm, I'm testing you. Oh, oh, I gotta come up with your answer. I got the answer to this. This Jeopardy? She the one that, the woman that would have walked with him the longest through his ministry. Potentially. Potentially. We, we don't have a date. Like when you get to Luke 8, it doesn't say that this was day 56 of his earthly ministry. Potentially, she could be one of the first ones. Potentially, you also have Salome, the mother of James and John. And so if you think back to when Jesus called um, James and John, that the mother may have been following. Or the mother may have just, hey, when you're in town, I'll take care of you, I'll feed you, I'll house you. It's possible. But we can't, I can't say definitively because I don't have a, a chapter and verse to back that up. So, John's re- recording of, of the conversation between Jesus and Mary at Abu Yes. And he, she says, do not cling to me for I'm not risen, I'm not risen to my father yet. Yes. <laughs> oh, ooh, okay. <laughs> So, theory that's out there. When Jesus rose from the tomb, he was in a spiritual state. They would say, um, and this is, you go back to 1 Peter, where you get some of this indication that, but that he, um, according to Ephesians and according to 1 Peter, the theory is that he then went and presented himself to God as the righteous lamb, paying the sacrifice. And then there are also theories that he went then down to Satan to free, to pay that ransom in the bondage of those that were in captivity. Um, First Peter talks about that. I, can't, I don't remember off the top of my head exactly the passage, but it talks about when he went down um, and that there was a intermediary state between um, his in that spiritual position, but then once he had gone to heaven and gone down to Satan and came back to earth, there was a, a, a trip that was there. And I'm not trying to be blasphemous or flippant, but there was a, there was a trip that was there then he came back and he had a body, um, a physical body when he came back after those after those two stops. The reason why we know he had a physical body is because when he appeared to the disciples in the room, they actually were able to touch the holes in his hand, feel the hole in the side, and he actually took fish and ate it and they watched him eat fish. Now, the, that also... It gets more complicated because it tells us in John that the disciples and the followers were within a locked room and Jesus shape shifted and came through the wall and appeared in the room and said, here I am. How y'all doing? So how did he do that? Maybe he's David Copperfield. I don't know. I mean, there was there was some way that he had to be able to do that. So there are theories that are out there that not only did he have that spiritual, that glorified spiritual state, but he also had a physical body in this sense that he's able to do that. So the theory that's there, and the reason why I keep saying theory is not because not because I'm trying to cast doubt in your mind. I just I want to be very careful to not say, well, my theory should be your biblical conviction. Okay, um, so, but whenever Mary clings to him, he says, do not cling for me for I have not ascended yet to my father. So the idea that's there is that he went, presented himself to God, went down to Satan to say, hey, these people that you've held captive, the Old Testament saints, now I have paid their ransom. I have paid for their sins. They are now released. And then when he came back to earth, he had that physical sense. Yes, sir. 
Is, is there any writings or studies that the Jewish purification law laws played into that? Saying that uh, I haven't yet appeared. Could be. Um, I, I, I am not familiar with any one of them, but there's a lot of writings that I'm ignorant of. So there could be something that has to do with the Jewish purification or the Jewish laws that would allude to that. Um, but I don't know of one off the top of my head that I can that I can point to. But yes, sir. Who's the boy? Who was the boy? Was in the tomb. Into it and a boy was sitting. So they would say that was the angel. So they would say that you go to some of these gospel accounts. There's an angel that is there that gives them account. And so there in that account, it would be one of the angels that was identified as in the masculine, as identified as a male that was there in the tomb that was uh, saying, "Hey, he's not here. He's risen. Go and tell his followers that he's not here." So. I don't know if I had. I don't know if I helped any any there, Peter. But that's well. There, and there's always. I mean, this is one of those things that people that talk about. Well, the Bible's boring, and I'm thinking, well, you're not reading the same Bible I'm reading because I'll read stuff like that, and I'm like, I want to figure. I want to go digging, and I want to go looking, and anything that you find in Scripture that spurs a question in your head, there is somebody that has put ink on paper to give you their opinion of it. <laughs> now, it's always their opinion, and you always got to be careful about where the opinions are coming from, because sometimes you can get some pretty wonky opinions, but there's always things to discover, always things to, to dig down on. So, Any other things that you think of that might be a reason why we may know about Mary Magdalene? And why she sticks out? Jesus appeared to her first. Um, like, uh, during his ascension, she was in the garden crying over him being gone. And he said, do not cry for me. I'm Go tell the disciples, my, your brothers, that I'm Yes. I'm yeah. Yes, ma'am. It's good. I love that he called her by name. That shows that relationship and she knows his voice. That's when she realizes it's him. Yes. Yes. I think it sort of leads into the test, or sermon you did the other day about how God can choose anybody. No matter what their <coughs> position is, there's hope for all of us. Yes. And it's a testimony to uplift, downtrodden, and even women themselves and that he can't get that time. That's right. Yeah. Alright. So, any lessons from her life that stick out to you? I mean, I go back to what he's saying. You know, um, what equates her when the Bible mentions somebody was possessed by demons that in my mind kind of equates to people that struggle with like mental health issues and things like that and a lot of times people that are struggling with those issues don't feel equal or feel like they're worthy right. um, and it's really cool that you know somebody who probably didn't feel worthy of any sort of love was not only loved but chosen sure sure yeah when the demons were cast out she immediately starts following him faithfully that is the implication that we have 
the, yes, that's the that's the idea that we have. Was she wasn't she kind of a teacher in most the apostles? There may be extra biblical theories out there. I don't have anything in Scripture that would say that that is what that that is what she did. <laughs> well, and and that's why I try to be really careful here, is because it's it's pervasive. Yeah, it's pervasive that somebody comes up with an idea, it gets said two or three times. So I give you my idea two or three times, and then all of a sudden you're like, "That's a really good idea." So you go home and you tell Shaney, "Hey, Shaney, I got this idea," and you and you tell her three or four times. And the next thing you know, she tells two other people, and by the time it gets to the third or fourth person, now that's biblical. And it just started off with an idea. And so I try to be really careful um, to say, if, if I can't support it in Scripture, I don't want to present it to you as a biblical truth or a biblical fact. Because it, it can be, especially over church tradition, you start looking back historically over the centuries, there are things that have taken root as on the same par with Scripture that were never biblically founded. It just, the story got repeated often enough and now it became legend and now it became church tradition and now it became, you know, authoritative. So I try to be, I try to be careful about leaning into that just because we have so many examples of how that can go bad. <laughs> so. I think her faithfulness, <clears throat> what she started following him, uh-huh. was faithful to stay. And she served him and never said otherwise. Right. So her faithfulness was very important. Yes, it's good. Her faithfulness. It's one of the lessons that I looked at, or that came to my mind when I was thinking about this, was when we think about Mary Magdalene, we know about her not for who she was before Jesus. But we know about her for who she is after Jesus. Now why do I bring that up? Because there's a lot of times that we will spend more time talking about who we were before Jesus than we will talk, than we will talk about who we were after Jesus. And, and there's people that they want to have this great story about how they were just the worst of the worst, demon possessed, and that God radically saved them. And they'll spend more time focusing on who they were before Jesus and less time focusing on who they were after Jesus. And even in our conversations, sometimes it can be easy for us to talk about the life, childhood, or the life before getting our mind right, and yet we have such an opportunity not to dis, not to ignore and not to um, lie about or be deceitful about, but we have an opportunity to talk to people about this is who I have been, this is who I am, this is who I'm trying to be after Jesus. I want a testimony that we can have to talk about who we were after Jesus. When we think about Mary Magdalene, um, we, we know that she had a past. Demon possessed. We, there's all kinds of things that our mind can run, right? All kinds of ways that we can try to interpret that and implications we can put, inferences we can put in there. But we don't know about Mary before Jesus, apart from the demons. All we know about Mary is after Jesus. And I think, for me... What do I spend more time talking about? Before Jesus or after Jesus? 
what an opportunity for me to think about when it comes to my life. That how do I want to be known? Do I want to be known as before or after Jesus? And that's a that's a lesson that I just that I took away from thinking about the the testimony we have from Mary. Any other? Okay. I got one more. Talked about her faithfulness. Think about the blessings and the rewards she got for her faithfulness. So she follows Jesus, Luke 8, he casts the demons out. Mark chapter 1, conceivably, possibly, um, that is when she got saved. So she's there, potentially, potentially, um, maybe for two or three years, following Jesus, serving Jesus, being part of that group, um, and, and going through that itinerant ministry. Then, um, Jesus gets arrested, he is put on trial, everybody, the majority of people run away, she doesn't, she's there, she's at the crucifixion, the great peril and risk of her life. But then, Because of her devotion, she was rewarded and blessed by being part of that first group that then got to not only see his death, which you can just imagine how horrific that would have been, how alarming that would have been, how sorrowful that would have been, that you watch the man that you've dedicated your life to for the last three years. You watch him be killed and you watch him be buried and how... how definite that would be watching him be buried. There wasn't uh, you know there's theories out there that Jesus really didn't die, that he swooned. Have you heard those theories before? That he really didn't die, that he just played the Monty Python and he just passed out and they didn't think that he was responsive and so then he was in a kind of a a state of comatose if you will Um, they think his blood sugar dropped and because of the trauma, the physical trauma that he received that he passed out and they're like hey are you a and he didn't. He didn't respond. So they assumed, "Hey, he's dead." They skip over the whole spear in his side thing, but they skip over that. And so then they said, "So then they put a living Jesus into the tomb or wrapped him up." And so somewhere in the middle of the middle of those three days, Jesus woke back up, realized where he was at, unwrapped himself, then somehow moved the stone in a brutalized, beaten state and then walked out so he didn't he wasn't resurrected from the dead he just simply woke up and let himself out of the tomb that's a theory that's out there well i agree that it's foolishness but when you're married and you're sitting there and you're watching him die and then you're watching him buried and the the impact that would have on a person And then being so devoted that even though he has died and even though he's in the tomb, I am still going to continue to serve him. I am still going to continue to follow him. And then she gets to be one of the first ones to see him alive. And I think about the benefits that come from our devotion. Sometimes you and I can get in a season alive that we think, is it really worth it? Is there really any benefit? Am I really getting anything in return? Is it really worth my time? And we will get in those seasons where we'll start to doubt whether our faithfulness really matters. You might be in a season where you might start to think, you know what, no one sees my faithfulness, no one acknowledges my faithfulness, no one appreciates my faithfulness, no one knows about my faithfulness, so why keep being faithful? Because you're not being faithful for the opinion of the people around you. You're not being faithful for the praise of the people around you. You are being faithful because of what Jesus has done 
for you. And it can be possible. And I, 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 I know that Satan is right there in your ear hole saying, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't have any kind of benefit to other people. You should just stop. No one appreciates you. No one sees. And he's right there to try to discourage you in your devotion to Christ. And really what it boils down to is a matter of trying to continually get you and I to become lazy or to become apathetic or to just slow down in our faithfulness to the Lord. And so he uses those manipulations, he uses those tricks to get us to cease being faithful to the Lord. And yet when I think about Mary Magdalene, she continued to be devoted, she continued to be committed, she continued to be faithful. And yet she saw the fruit and she saw the rewards of her faithfulness to God. And you can say, you know, and how how was that? Well, she got to see Jesus resurrected. She got to go tell the disciples. Can you just imagine? Can you imagine her running back and all these guys? Uh, please, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to speak Spence, okay? This is Spence, okay? Can you imagine running back, you know, and all these scaredy cats being all in the room and they're all shivering and they're like, oh, we're men and we're going to hide. And they're there and these were the guys that were like, oh, we're never going to leave you, Jesus. We'll die with you. And now they're huddling down in the, in the room and the lights are out and they got the blankets over them. And you can just imagine Mary running back. Again, this is Spence speak, okay? So don't, don't walk out of here and say this is what the Bible said, okay? So you can just imagine her running back and her, and her banging on the door. Maybe she knew the key code to the door and she runs in and she flips the lights on and was like, hey, fellas, guess what? He's alive, and all the guys looking at her like, You're crazy. You must have had some bat Shabbat food because you don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, No. And Peter and John are like, Well, let's go prove her wrong. And they get up and they're like, Ah, see, you can't run as fast as us. So they outran her. They get to the tomb. They look in and they're like, Hmm, now something's different about this. And then all of a sudden she gets there and she's like, Nah, nah, boo boo. See, I told you. (laughs) The fruit. Of faithfulness, the fruit of devotion, the fruit of commitment. She was blessed because she got to be used in a way that very few people were used. Why? It wasn't on the front end, it was after her devotion and faithfulness to God. And it wasn't the opinion of the apostles or the opinion of the disciples, it wasn't an opinion of the other ladies or with her, it was the fact that she was known by Jesus. The reward that comes with our faithfulness. Now some of you may say, well Spence, when do I get my reward? Your reward may not come until heaven. But imagine having an eternal reward because of your faithfulness here. I wonder how much I will give an account to to God one day because of the opportunities that I had to be faithful that I chose what was easy and what was convenient more than what was faithful and obedient. I'm not saying that my eternity in heaven is in question, but I can imagine that I'll stand before God and God says, hey, let's, why did you do this? Then He goes to the next scene. Why, why weren't you faithful here? And then, then He goes to the next season. And what happened here? And, and, and Many opportunities that I had to be faithful and obedient that I forfeited because of what was easy and convenient. And yet Mary was faithful. She was devoted. She was committed. And she was rewarded. 
And I am not trying to tell you a name and a claim, and I'm not trying to tell you that if you just give me $5,000, your life will get better. It could. You could always try it. You could. It could get better. But what I am saying is, is that God blesses obedience. God may not bless obedience tomorrow, but God blesses obedience. God blesses faithfulness. And the reward for your faithfulness is not easy life, convenient life, popularity among men. The reward for your faithfulness is intimacy and closeness and being known by your Creator. What a reward that is to know that God sees you, that God knows you, and that God sees you. Your faithfulness to Him. I can just imagine Mary looking at Him and going, Hey guys, when all the rest of you guys bailed, (laughs) when all the rest of you, when it got too tough, when it got too hot, when it got too cold, when the heat got too much, when you were scared to show your face in public, when all those things were going, me and my posse, my girls, my gang, we were still working it, we were still being faithful to the Lord, and look what we got to do. And I think how many times... We miss those opportunities because we don't prioritize faithfulness to God. So when I think of Mary Magdalene, I think of somebody that is a lesson of what it looks like to prioritize faithfulness to God. Any other lessons that stick out to you? Alright, so the next week we'll be looking at James the Apostle, the older brother of John. If you want to uh, look ahead and look at those. So glad that you were here this evening. I hope that maybe these are helpful. Uh, I know they're being I know they've been helpful to me, but I hope they've been helpful to you. Just kind of think about people, think about why they're there, and maybe think about some examples that you and I can look to. Um, because when those times comes and those struggles comes and those trials comes, it's good to know that you're not the first, you're not the only, you're not the last. And you can be faithful regardless of your situation. So, anyways, glad you all were here. Matt, would you be willing to close this in a word of prayer, sir? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wilson. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwilson.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.